I'd be amiss if I didn't say Happy Father's Day to uh, all the fathers out there as well. Uh, what a great day this is, and a great day to come and worship our true Heavenly Father. The uh, title of the message is From One Father to Another. And uh, let me go ahead and get this out of the way. This message this morning is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. <laughs> Invest in your future wisely. I uh, have to say, this is one of those times of year when you look out and you realize the people that are here this morning really love God because you gave so much for the missions contribution, you can't vacation anywhere but Dallas. <laughs> so uh, I'm really glad to be with the most committed members here this morning and those who are truly sold out, so I say. Our scripture this morning that we begin with is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 18 says, the Lord God Almighty says, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters. You know, I have to say, in life, as I've lived a full life, I've had many titles along the way. I've had titles that I've been very proud of. Titles that I've really esteemed towards. High school teacher, ministry intern, Bible talk leader, Southwest region leader. And I can say of all the titles, those and so many others, husband, the one that I truly esteem his father. And I have to believe this morning that God must feel exactly the same way about the title he gave himself, Father. And let me enlighten you on something I think very, very important here this morning. Your children are not just your children. They are sons and daughters of their Heavenly Father. And though they are with you, they do not belong to you alone. Yes, they come through you, but no, they are not from you. You may give them nourishment, Instruction in love, but not eternal life. You may house their bodies, but you do not house their eternal souls. For their souls, like our souls, dwell in the house of tomorrow. You know, I read that to you because, in essence... 
when it comes to our children. In many, many ways, our role model, I believe, is Joseph, the foster father of Jesus. Can you even begin for a moment to imagine with me the pressure that you would feel if all of a sudden you found yourself raising God's son as a foster father? Boy, you talk about pressure to not mess up. You talk about pressure to lay a good foundation. And yet in many ways, I think what I really want to impress on you here this morning is that one of the greatest privileges by far that we will ever have, if not the greatest, is to be a foster father, a foster mother to our children someday. You know, there's a lot of things, but there are a few significant things that if I could go back and change in my life, I would. And let me tell you that one thing I would go back and change about my earlier years as a disciple would be that I would change living so much like everything depended on me. You know, if I'm going to be real candid, as a, as a young disciple, even a young minister, I lived as though discipling depended on me. It, it was my job to make sure they grew and were raised up and were faithful. And if someone left the Lord, I took it so personally. And it's important to feel that commitment. It's important to be invested in that way. But it can go over the line, and sometimes you really lose track that it's not all about you. And it doesn't all depend on you. In fact, the Bible tells us to train ourselves up to be godly. I think about my, uh, my evangelism. And certainly in my evangelism, I've learned over the years that by no means does it all depend on me. Connie and I moved into a neighborhood three years ago, a new neighborhood in Trophy Club, and we were the only disciples from our church there. And within a month, God had landed in our lap a couple that was wide open and became and got restored to be your brother and sister in Christ. And then their daughter and son-in-law came to Christ. And, you know, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed over our lot before our house was even built. But, boy, did that remind me that it doesn't depend on me alone. And that God in his spirit can set us up and is in this far more than we might believe. And, you know, the obvious implication to our message today is parenting. Boy, too many of us, we just live like raising our children depend totally on us. And yes, your example is vital. Yes, you need to, to model for them. And you need to, to find that balance of not being a permissive parent or an overbearing parent. But I will tell you that far too much of us sometimes think that God is not in this totally invested with us. And so my first of two points this morning is simply this. God is your child's father too. 
I am telling you, every parent melts the moment he or she first feels the weight of parenthood. Man, parenthood is a semi-truck loaded with fears. We fear so many things, don't we? We, we fear failing our child, spoiling our child, neglecting our child. And then when we get done fearing all those things, then we wonder, is it enough? You know, do I have enough diapers? Do I have enough protection for my child? Do I have enough wisdom, enough money to raise this child? And then probably even enough energy to keep raising this child. And then there's sickness, education, homework, opposite sex attraction, bullying, peer pressure, failures, rebellion, faith struggle. Don't you just love being a parent? It's enough to keep you tossing and turning throughout the night. And you know what? The Bible has got some great examples for us of parents. And there's a great example of a father that was not at peace in his parenting because like many of us, his child was hurting. You know the story I'm confident most of you of Jairus, who encountered Jesus when Jesus landed on his shoreline. And we read about Jairus not at peace. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 40, a great earthly father for us to imitate. In Luke 8 and verse 40, it says, Now when Jesus, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Jairus. A Capernaum community leader, the leader of the local synagogue. In Jesus' day, just so you understand, this man would be the mayor. He would be the highest ranking professor in that community, teacher. And he would certainly be the best known citizen of Capernaum. He's all those things rolled into one. He has all those titles, if you will, rolled into one. And yet the greatest title he wears is the title of father. The father of a 12-year-old who the prognosis is looking anything but good for her health and her recovery. When Jairus approaches Jesus, he's like many of us at many times in our life a hurting father, a hurting mother, desperately pleading for the life of his child. The Jairus we see in this story is not 
the clear-sighted. I got everything all together. Nicely groomed civic leader. He's a desperate man, absolutely begging for a gift. Falling at Jesus' feet, we read Mark's account in Mark 5, verse 23, where he records, he begged Jesus, saying again and again, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and will live. Notice he doesn't bother to barter with Jesus. You do me a favor and I'll take care of this in your life. He doesn't negotiate with Jesus. He doesn't try to handle some of Jesus' problems if Jesus will just handle this huge problem he has. He doesn't even make excuses. He doesn't come up to Jesus as he falls on his knees and he says, Jesus, normally as a leader here, I've got my life pretty much together, but right now there's some stuff, just some stuff going on with the family. Man, he doesn't do any of those things. He just pleads. You know, there are times in your life, in mine, when everything we have to offer is absolutely nothing in comparison to what we want to receive. Jarius right now is in such a point. Really, what can a father offer in exchange for the life of their child? So there are no games here. There's no haggling. There's no concealments. The situation is starkly simple. Jarius' daughter is dying, and he has only one prayer, one moment where Jesus is passing by, God in the flesh. He doesn't offer, if you will, up the Hail Mary He offers up the hell Jesus. Even better. And so Jarius asks for help. And Jesus, who loves the honest, vulnerable hearts, notice this, responds immediately. Stops what he's doing and goes to where the child is. And God... God, who knows what it's like to lose a child, empowers his son to rectify that situation. My first point is simply, don't ever forget that God is your child's father too. If you remember nothing else from this sermon, You need to remember that. Because as we focus on and emphasize Jesus in our world today and in our fellowship, we can lessen our focus that God, the Father himself, is the Father to our child. 
I mean, why that is so important is think of it in these terms. What parent emotion has our Heavenly Father not felt? Are you right now separated from your child in life? God was too. Is someone mistreating your child? Well, they mocked and bullied his. Is someone taking advantage of your child? Well, the Son of God was set up by false testimony and betrayed by a greedy follower. Are you forced to watch your child suffer? Well, God watched his child suffer deeply, more deeply than we could ever imagine. So does this God just shrug his shoulders when we're hurting, when our child is hurting, and say, well, that's just life, this is the way it's going to be, the world is evil, I am telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. Because God is our child's father too. And if there's one title above any title that God could have taken, he took upon himself the title of father. I mean, think about it this way. He doesn't call himself curator. He doesn't call himself manager. He doesn't refer to himself as overseer. Those titles can be cold. They can be indifferent. God's role, you see, is not a job. It's a relationship. He's not some hired hand running a universe that on a whim he created, and your child is an afterthought. So God chooses a relationship title that you and I can identify with, Now that you understand his heart, when your child is in pain, let's go to point number two. And that is, give your child back to God. Many of us, we need right now to decide, understanding this, that it's time we just give our child back to God. Let me make that practical for you. What does it mean to give your child over to God? Lamentations 2 in verse 19, I think, paints a really great picture. I'm sure you know Lamentations 2, 19. You could probably quote it right now if you're a parent. It says, rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands to him in prayer, pleading for your children. That's what it means to give your child back to God. That is exactly what Jarius did. When Jesus landed at his doorstep. 
You know, Father's Day is one of those days that it's really filled with mixed emotions for a lot of people. There are many people, as you're aware, that maybe didn't have a father. Oh, they had a a biological father, but they didn't have a father in their life who raised them. And certainly all of us were raised by imperfect fathers. I see Todd's two sons on the front row here. I mean, they would give me an amen, right? (laughs) Work with me here, guys. I'm trying to help you. And I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to say here that there are others who, who you don't know who your father is. And I love the scripture where it says that God is a father to the fatherless. So we all have a father this Father's Day, and we're rightly here honoring him. But i got to tell you, and many of you can relate, as someone who three years ago lost my father after 90 years, Wow, how blessed was I. An incredible father. I, 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 I look at a day like today and I'm just filled with emotions because I would so love to pick up the phone and just hear his broken Italian English voice and feel his love through that phone. You know, isn't it interesting that many times we feel those emotions, but we won't even pick up the phone to call our Heavenly Father when He's still here. You tossing and turning in the night in parenthood? Yeah, you're tossing and turning because God is not letting you sleep because you need to be pouring out your heart like water before Him pleading for your child. You know, the bottom line here is this. Parents, we can do this. We can be loyal advocates. We can be stubborn in assessors. We can take our parenting fears, that whole semi-truck of them, and give them over to God. And I love 1 Peter 5, verse 7. I love it because it says very visually, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It doesn't say UPS him. It says, man, you take him and you just cast them onto him because he cares for you. Martin Luther put it this way. Pray and let God worry. Man, I love that. Let that sink in. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray and I'm going to let God worry. After all, they're his child. Someone else said, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. You know, we carry around a lot of fears, a lot of burdens, as I said. I want to I leave you with an uh, uh, illustration, a metaphor, a cup and a saucer. This is not sponsored by Mikasa. This is, this is free. And, uh, you know, 
I got to admit, when we got, this was our wedding china many, many years ago. I, or not wedding china, what am I saying? This was our everyday wear, thank you. And uh, I remember we got these saucers with the, uh, with the coffee cups, and I'm thinking, what am I going to use this thing for? And then I saw it had a little groove in it, so I thought, okay, probably the cup goes there. But you know, what you guys don't realize is, is this. In the 18th century, coffee wasn't drunk from the cup. It was first poured into the saucer to cool off, and then it was drunk from the saucer. Now, don't try that in front of your wife or you'll probably get slapped upside the head <laughs> when you have company over. But someone said very appropriately, prayer is the saucer into which parent fears are poured to cool. Some of you are walking around in life without your saucers. You're drinking that coffee straight from the cup and discovering it burns. And I would just leave you with the thought that you might want to, uh, to really think about turning and giving your child back to God. You know, like I said, we can do this. And in your struggle with prayer, and I know many of us struggle with prayer, I've, I've got just the guy for you. He's another father. He's the father that we read about in the Gospels. You know, there's all kinds of fathers that run onto the pages of the Gospel. And I want to I give you another father. He's, uh, he's the father of the epileptic boy. Don't worry, he's not some prayer warrior or some callous knee apostle. He's not too holy to remind us of how far we need to go in prayer. He's just the opposite. He's a fellow, imperfect, almost believer. A parent with a sick son like Jarius, who's in desperate need of a miracle. You'll be encouraged to know the Father's prayer isn't much, but the answer sure is. And the result reminds us the power is not in the prayer, it is in the one who hears it. He too prayed out of desperation. Ever since this boy was young, the demon had thrown him into fires and water. He couldn't even leave his son alone for 24 hours, let alone five minutes. Others' dads would watch their child grow and mature. He could only watch his child suffer. Others were teaching their sons an occupation. He was trying to keep his son alive. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 22, it says, that this father says to Jesus, if you can do anything for him, please have pity on us and help us. Listen to that prayer. 
I mean, after all, doesn't it sound courageous? Doesn't it sound confident? Doesn't it sound strong? Jesus, if you can do anything for him, please have pity on us and help us. Man, that wasn't much of a prayer, was it? And he wasn't much of a prayer either, was he? He even admits it. He even admits it. In verse 24, it says, Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Man, you're not going to find his prayer in a worship manual. No psalm will result of that utterance. His was simple, and the response was even more clear. You see, Jesus responded, and the Father responded through Jesus, not to the eloquence of the man, but to the pain of the man. And he too had his son healed. We got to give our children back to God. And I want to close by leaving you with a thought in contrast. Think about a third father in the Bible. Not in the pages with Jarius, not in the pages with the father of an epileptic, but probably one that we esteem even more than those two fathers. He was known as a man after God's own heart, and he sat on the throne of Israel. Yet King David's family was a disaster. And I want to challenge you in contrast to what we've looked at here, not to make fathers David's mistake. How do we explain David's disastrous home? How do we explain David's silence True silence when it comes to his family. I don't know if you thought about this, but there are no psalms by the greatest psalmist writer of all time. There are no psalms that are written about David's children. Surely out of all of his wives, you would think one was worthy of a psalm or a sonnet or a song. Oh, sure, aside from praying for Bathsheba's baby, the scriptures are completely, shockingly silent that he ever prayed for his family. You say, well, isn't that a little bit of a harsh judgment? Aren't you taking some liberties there? Well, I'll grant you that, but I will tell you that it does stick with me that he prayed repeatedly about the Philistines. He never stopped interceding in psalms and in prayer for his warriors. He even offered countless prayers for Jonathan, his friend, 
and for Saul, even Saul, his arch rival. But as far as his family is concerned, honestly, when you look at scriptures, it's almost, and I'm going to be bold here, it's almost as though they never existed. And I just really wonder what father or what mother we may be more like when it comes before the throne of God. Was David, was David too busy to notice them? Maybe. I mean, he had a city to settle. He had a kingdom to run and to build. We're pretty busy these days settling our matters and building our kingdoms too. Was he too important to care for them? Well, he certainly might have had an attitude, let the wives raise the kids, I'm going to lead the nation. I uniquely alone can do that role. Or maybe, just maybe, he was too guilty to shepherd them. After all, how could David, who had seduced Bathsheba, intoxicated and murdered Uriah, correct his sons, his own sons, when they, yes, raped and, yes, murdered? The nut doesn't fall very far from the tree, does it? Too busy, too important, too guilty, and for David, sadly, too late. A dozen, a dozen exits, too late. But if you're hearing the Spirit this morning, it's not too late for you. Your home cannot be an afterthought. Because foster father, foster mother, that's God's child you're raising. It's a giant size privilege. And it should be your towering priority. Don't make, don't make David's tragic mistake neglecting your children and think, everything's going to turn out fine. Look at me. My parents raised me this way, and I'm a believer and a disciple today. Don't ever kid yourself with Satan's lie. In Proverbs 14, verse 28, it says, Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Man, that's how I want to parent. I want to have enough respect, enough trust, enough dependence on God that I have a healthy respect. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to respect the Lord. And those who respect the Lord, they're secure. Are you secure at this hour in your parenting? Because those who are are going to be a refuge. He's going to be a refuge, it says, for their children. 
You know, a a refuge is synonymous with sanctuary. It's synonymous with shelter, with protection, with a place of safety. All those are found in the thesaurus under refuge. Isn't that the home you want to be a part of? Isn't that the harbor that you want to raise your children in? Parents, never forget, God is your child's father too. And let us be totally committed. And maybe fathers, let us even man up and step forward today on Father's Day and say, this is where it stops. This is where I stop running my kingdom, having my earthly priorities, and not turning my children over to God. I am so grateful that we are raised in an environment where a tribe, a village can raise our children. But understand, nothing takes the place of a godly father and a godly mother in their life. Let us pray as we now thank God for the communion that will remind us that we've been adopted as sons and daughters.